Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. It's 10.08 WTIC News Talk 1080, Will Marotti Show. Your host, Will Marotti. Matt Sorice is at the Master Control Panel. The last several days, we've talked about this case out of Tennessee, this uh, former nurse, Redonda Vaught, who um, uh, admittedly made a, a mistake, administered a wrong medication, um, patient died, and, um, and what I think is a rare case, uh, not only facing uh, malpractice, lawsuit, but also criminal prosecution, and she's been convicted, could face up to three years in prison. A lot of opinion on it, and um, well, you know, we like to we like to talk to folks who know a little bit more than we do about it, so we have uh, asked, and, and he has accepted our invitation, Dr. David Emmel is an ophthalmologist, he's got an office in Wethersfield, practices out of Hartford Hospital, he's also the chair, the legislative chair of the Connecticut State Medical Society. Dr. Emmel, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to to talk about some of the issues that impact us, you know, with regard to uh, to malpractice. Uh, the uh, the specific case you're talking about, of course, involves a nurse and is very unique in so many ways. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, I'm I'm, re- I'm really not as prepared to speak about that, except I think I would call attention to the fact that there were n- numerous opportunities for her to double check what she was doing and she overrode them and i think that played a significant role in the outcome of that particular case mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let me ask you a, just a general question then I, I i'm wondering and this has come up in our conversation last two days about this case uh is is there a larger greater problem uh structural problem within hospitals and healthcare in general that there, there just doesn't seem to be enough enough nurses maybe enough doctors uh, uh, clearly in COVID, you know, we know the, you know, hospitals were overrun, but this happened pre-COVID. This was 2017. Uh, is, is this more, more of a regular problem than people would suspect that nurses are, are frequently overloaded with patient care and not necessarily able to spend the time or, or, you know, normalizing these deviations as far as overriding protocols? Is this happening more often, do you suppose? Well, I, you know, I, I I think that's a better question to put to somebody in one of the hospitals. Um, okay. I can tell you that the physicians and healthcare um, uh, uh, providers in general have been under enormous stress during COVID-19. Um, we lost a number of our colleagues who just said, um, "I can't do this anymore," yeah. um, and um, basically retired. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, COVID-19 was the final straw, and there's. Uh, uh, enormous stress um, in Connecticut uh, because of uh, other issues, uh, regulatory issues, insurance issues. One of our big issues in the state medical society is uh, retaining and recruiting the physicians we train in Connecticut. Um, for example, 
we're only able to keep 80% or 20% of the mm-hmm. um, physicians we train in our medical schools here. And we lose a similar number of the residents who train through excellent programs that we have in Connecticut. We train some of the best physicians in the world here, sure. but we have a brain drain. They leave and we can't, mm-hmm. and it's hard for us to attract them back. Um, and that has to do with uh, things like the high cost of living in Connecticut, taxes. But um, a significant part of it is uh, the malpractice uh, environment in Connecticut, which is uh, particularly uh, poor relative to other states. We're, mm-hmm. we're invariably ranked at the bottom of the list um, when uh, studies are, are uh, undertaken to you know, uh, quantify and qualify which states are the best to practice in. And a big part of that is malpractice. Well, you know, and, it, and it's kind of uh, ironic. We've got some excellent medical schools here in Connecticut, and and to think that we 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 train these folks and we lose them, it's just uh, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. It really yeah. is. I mean, I I, I I I I don't have a number. I don't have a percentage, but I'm going to guess. I mean, Connecticut's got the fourth highest move out rate in the country, and and people usually identify you know things like cost of living, taxes, so on and so forth. And I guess that it, that impacts physicians and nurses and everyone else. Uh, in the yeah, and particularly well. you know for like I said, retaining and recruiting uh, the physician practices. Um, usually, if we can get somebody to come to Connecticut, it's either because they uh, almost always because they have some sort of Connecticut roots. Uh, whether it's uh, their own or their spouses that brings them back, but mm-hmm. uh, we're we're losing the best. Uh, providers in yeah. all those categories uh, because they find better opportunities in other states. Sure. I lost my primary care doctor, the best doctor I ever had, love him. And he left He left Connecticut and is practicing somewhere else in the country. And it's just, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking that you have these people that you trust and and then, uh, you know, no no fault of their own, but they end up giving really. Let me ask you another general question about this case because this is the thing we've really been focusing on the last couple of days. I, I don't, in terms of recollection, I, I think it's rare. I think it's rare that these these kinds of cases become criminal cases. And uh, while the prosecutors in Tennessee are saying, well, don't worry, this doesn't set a precedent, I don't know how it couldn't. Uh, and and there's, there, there too lies potentially a struggle of getting folks to become uh, nurses or doctors if they start thinking, well, maybe if I'm going to be sent to jail for making a mistake, I'll go be an engineer. I mean, what's the, what's the ramification of something like this, doctor, where – you know, it, it, people are actually facing jail time for, we know mistakes are made all the time. People are human. They make mistakes, whether they're doctors or nurses. But is this going to have a negative impact on, again, recruiting and, forget retention, recruiting and get them in the door in the first place? Pastor Will, you, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, absolutely. Um, you know, people don't go into um, health care um, with a cavalier attitude. Uh, we, we, we take it very seriously. Um, Physicians tend to, most of us, be kind of type A personalities. We're very much perfectionists, and uh, you don't sacrifice 10 to 12 years of your uh, the best years of your life to go into medicine training through medical school and residency to uh, um, not help people. If, if you have to have a mindset that where that is really an important part of who you are, and mm-hmm. it's um, extremely stressful and hard for all of us when. We do make mistakes. We sure. are human. We sometimes make mistakes even when we're trying our hardest. Mm-hmm. And um, the threat of um, criminal prosecution um, is not insignificant. And um, it, it may be easy for um, a, a prosecuting attorney someplace to say, oh, this won't set precedent. But um, 
invariably these sorts of things have a way of uh, backfiring. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit more about the Connecticut State Medical Society. I have to be very frank; I've never heard of it before. Uh, so, what, oh what, what what's I the purpose of the? What do you, what do you guys do? <laughs> well, we represent um, our physicians and their ability to take care of our patients. Mm-hmm. So, our mm-hmm. foremost uh, priority is um, working um, on anything that will help us take care of patients, deliver better health care. Mm-hmm. And part of that role is working at both the state capitol and sometimes even in Washington to influence legislation that uh, would help us do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the issues, for example, we're working on right now is, uh, uh, well, we, we have a bill uh, that we've been pushing for for a long time that would improve our opportunities to attract and retain physicians uh, by offering um, opportunities to uh, pay back some of the enormous student debt that medical mm, students acquire, mm. sometimes up to uh, a half a million dollars oh, sure. to, Crazy to get through medical much. school. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. would be a, a huge plus. That bill also um, calls for a task force on malpractice, which we've been strongly pushing for for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a task force about 10 years ago that made recommendations, only uh, one or two of which were followed up on, and we're way overdue for um, a, a fresh look at malpractice and how we can, you know, bring a better quality to it uh, so that um, injuries are addressed at, at, at all levels, not mm-hmm. just the highest level, and um, and uh, so that, you know, there is a system where injured patients can be compensated, but doctors protected, and there are ways of doing that, and we think it's well worth exploring a better um, approach to solving these uh injury sure. issues sure well um, you know and, and i don't know um i don't know that i'm one of the things that i'm frustrated about this case is the fact that the nurse seems to be taking the full brunt of the responsibility here and um i'm wondering you know why why isn't the hospital called into question why why is it that um there seemed to be no accountability there was no you know she overrode a number of protocols how come that wasn't found out by anyone why why is this just going on and there's no there's no check and balance system and then when it comes down to it the patient dies it's horrible it's sad it's tragic but the nurse is the only one held responsible and then the nurse now might go to jail why why i mean i know it's a big deal it's vanderbilt i understand that but why isn't there more um across the board why isn't there more accountability within the hospitals uh, I, you know, I, <laughs> I, I share with you the concern. I, I can't speak for the hospitals. Um, you know, my, my, my focus is on physicians. And, yeah. and certainly, you know, we do everything we can um, to uh, encourage, you know, the best possible care and, and emphasize safety to the utmost. Uh, mm-hmm. One of my um, other positions is the medical director of an outpatient surgery center, okay. and um, we have a, a very strong quality initiative, um, and we're uh, constantly talking to our members about um, the, the various steps that are important to avoid making mistakes. Sure. Uh, you know, um, we put in a lot of checks and balances, and we we constantly remind people that these steps are critical. And even though it's tedious um, to, to perform them be, because they're, they're frequently in multiples, it's critical to do it every time like it's a brand new and it, it's important. Mm. 
Um, I, I, one other thing I would say, I, and again, not in just a generalized sense, um, do you think, I mean, do you feel this is justified, that, that there should be criminal charges against this, this former nurse? I mean, I can see losing the license. All right, fine. You, the person died. You overrode protocols. You gave the wrong medicine. The person died. Okay, lose the license. Uh, all right, it's, that's a big deal, but I see it. But jail time? Do, do you think that, that that's at all warranted here? You know, I, 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 I wasn't prepared to answer that question. Okay. Pastor Will, I, I'm, I'm, I confess I'm not as familiar with that case. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just got a, a snippets of it. Um, okay. So, so I, I don't have enough time to listen to your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate taking the time out. It's a pleasure to meet you. And uh, sometimes I'll talk to you about my, my optical migraines. Maybe you can help me with that. <laughs> I'd be glad to talk to you about your optical migraines. Uh, Anyhow, Dr. the State Medical Association is a great organization. Yeah. We, we really promote the best possible health care, and mm-hmm. we're happy to work with anyone who will uh, give us the opportunity. Great. Dr. David Emmel is a ophthalmologist. He practices in Wethersfield. He works at Hartford Hospital and is the uh, legislative chair for the Connecticut um, uh, Medical um, Connecticut State Medical Society. Hey, thank you so much. It's a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back. Phone lines will be open, 800-966-9842-860-522-9842. Talk about anything you like or things we've already covered. We'll be right back. Stay with us. We'll be right back in two minutes. Back to the Will Marotti Show on WTIC News Talk 1080. Ladies and gentlemen, here we are. It's uh, 1024. We can fit a couple of quick calls in if you'd, uh, if you'd like to call in 800-966-9842-860-522-9842. Um, you know, I, we'll, we'll have to see. Um, we'll have to see how this case comes out. Uh, I, am, I am definitely a no vote for jail time. Uh, she's going to be, doesn't say when the sentencing is. Um, I'm just making sure she doesn't say when the sentencing is. So we don't know when the sentencing is, but she's been convicted. She could face, she could face one to three years. Uh, I, I think that would be horrible. I think it's a travesty. I don't think it's justified. I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't play one on TV. I don't pretend to be one. My, my nurse, my doctor, my, my closest, my closest connection with medicine is my daughter. Who, uh, who who is an RN and has worked in, in ICU environments before? She is very uh, understanding of this story, and I, I just don't think it's the right thing to do. I don't think it, the jail time is. Uh, she lost her license. She's not going to be a nurse ever again. Um, people make mistakes. That's that's that's. I guess what I'm going to say. What I haven't spoken on at all uh, is this: the, is the Academy, uh, the uh, the Oscar thing, Will Smith and um, what's his name, Chris Rock. Uh, intentionally, I haven't spoken on that, but I'm now I'm now listening to others who are, and so I'm starting to put together a little bit of a scenario. Uh, apparently, just yesterday, uh, one of the greatest basketball players of all t- time, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, formerly known as Lou Alcindor, uh, came out very strongly against what uh, happened uh, with the slapping. Uh, didn't condone what what Chris Rock said, but was very, um, very, 
um, not even judgmental, but very critical about what Will did. And um, and others, uh, I, I saw, I was watching ESPN, Shannon Sharp, who very much a liberal. Shannon Sharp was very, very um, turned off by what happened. Uh, also African-American. And then uh, the, the story is pretty obvious. It's pretty open that Denzel Washington and, and Tyler Perry both were very uh, not happy with the, with the behavior. Now they're, they're talking about stripping uh, him maybe of the award. Apparently they, uh, the Academy says they asked him to leave after the incident. He didn't leave after the incident. And then in contrast, Chris Rock did his first uh, public performance since that and got a standing ovation and said, you know, he's not, I'm not talking about it. I didn't come here to talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it, but still got a standing ovation. So I don't know. I, I think uh, for whatever it's worth, you know, my, my thought was, listen, I, I don't think Chris should have made the joke about the, the wife, particularly when she has a medical condition. I don't think that was, that was, that was kind or called for, but at the same time, I don't think it's that you go up on national TV and slap somebody in the face for it. Uh, I think you handle that privately and, and you handle it properly. So, you know, whatever. Uh, that's what I think. 800-966-9842-860-522-9842. We're going to have uh, the weekend editor of hotair.com, always entertaining. Jazz Shaw will be on. We'll talk a number of things that Jazz has written, talked about. I'm sure Ukraine's going to come up as one of those things, and Hunter Biden may come up as well. And um, and then we'll take calls, uh, closing out the program today for the Between Rounds Bagels Last Caller of the Day Award. Highly coveted. <laughs> People like it. It's, and bagels are great. They're delicious. So we'll uh, we'll do that when we come back. So all right, take a break. Commercials, news. Come back with Jazz Shaw when we return. Back to the Will Marotti Show on WTIC News Talk 1080. All right, welcome back. 1038. Uh, you know, I, I, I check constantly um, news sites. And I've got about 12 that I go to on a regular basis. But one of the ones that I go to every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, is hotair.com. Uh, I like I like how they write stuff up. I like what they bring. I like the topics. And uh, it's a place that you should go for your news. Uh, when you want to get good, good news, go to hotair.com. Joining us now on the hotline, the uh, oddly enough, the hotline, the weekend editor of hotair.com, the incomparable Jazz Shaw. Jazz, welcome to the show. Brother Will, thanks for having me. Hey, always stuff going on. Is, is it surprising to you? You're in this constantly. You're submersed in it. Is it is it hard to pick what to write about? Or I mean, it's just a, it's just a deluge of information nowadays. Yeah, well, these days it's particularly hard because it's just Ukraine is swamping so much of everything. And the problem is there's a lot of other stuff going on that doesn't, yeah get much attention mm-hmm. and that's when the government really gets up to stuff that you need to know about because when they know nobody's looking you know what right, they're going to do right. <laughs> hand for sure well let's, let's get the ukraine stuff out of the way first you've got a story up today talking about putin now here's putin on oh we're going to start withdrawing troops we're going to start doing it and, and meanwhile they're still shelling uh kiev they're still doing this and and even actually trying to recruit more uh, citizens into the army, right? So, I mean, what is it with this guy? Is he schizophrenic or is he just an outright liar? I don't think the two are mutually exclusive. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think both can certainly be possible. 
Yeah. And and yeah. we don't want to mislead people. He's not right. recruiting people. He's conscripting people. Right, right, right. all right. They're, they're just, they got a list of names. Right. They're coming to the grouse and hey, Time you're in for the you army to now. Serve. Let's go. You know, <laughs> you will you're come going with to us. Ukraine. <laughs> Here's your uniform. Um, yeah, I guess there's a big difference in how they get, they get folks to join the Russian army versus the the uh, United States Armed Forces. Um, so. <sighs> I, do you think this is going to end? I mean, I I really thought we were like on the verge of winding down, and he was going to take completely take over the Donbass region, and you know that was that was his, at least one of their foreign ministers said that really was the goal that you know they were trying to to protect the the ethnic Russians in Donbass, and you know he was going to begin to to wind down military operations, and and then is any of this true? Or I mean, how do you how do you know what to do with this guy? Uh, apparently not. Um, if he was really winding down and focusing on the east, they wouldn't still be shelling Kiev and several other cities in the west yeah. every day and every night. Yeah. And yeah, some of those cities are, are basically just piles of rubble at this point. Ugh. So I'm not sure what they're shelling in some cases. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, he's he's still doing that. Yeah, they've pulled a bunch of troops out. We, we've had that confirmed, and a lot of them were being loaded on trains and, and sent to the east. Mm-hmm. But... I don't think that's because, oh, it was never our intention in the first place. We always just wanted this little section in the east. It's, it's because they got stalled and they were getting their butts kicked, yeah, you know. Yeah. And the other news that came out today is, I, I think I mentioned it in the same article, mm-hmm. that there's intelligence reports confirming that a lot of their troops are refusing to obey orders. Um, looking at that right now. Their own equipment. So one, they shot down one of their own planes. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I mean, what's up with that? I mean, that's not a good sign when your troops are sabotaging your equipment. I mean, oh. Yeah, I think those are people who don't want to be there. Yeah. There are others who maybe are willing to follow orders and go along, but they have no training, and they really don't know what they're doing. And now they're about to be supplemented by 100,000 people who have never had a day's training or just yeah. basically getting a uniform and a gun and saying yeah. go. And I, I don't see how that ends well. You know, I mean, it's like the end of Germany at the end of World War II, right? I mean, they were throwing anybody that could carry a a, 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 a rake into the battle at that point with no yep. training at all. Yep. Um, gosh, I you know, and then there was a story of of the, the of the Russian soldier that that wounded the Ukrainian soldier, and they started talking, and the Russian soldier said, "I have no idea why I'm here. I don't I don't know why we're doing this. I don't know why I'm here." You know, it's, it's oh, just yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, gosh, talk about a lack of vision or not clearly communicating what the mission is. I mean, Putin's just, it's insane. But I go back to, you know, could could, could we be doing more? And apparently uh, President Zelensky wants us to do more, wants everybody to do more. Why, why are we holding back at this point? Well, I don't know exactly what it is we're holding back unless you're suggesting sending in troops or no, actually no. trying to establish a no-fly zone. I mean, we no, no, no on we, either of those, on both of those, because, no, I don't want any troops there. And, and if you do the no-fly zone, now you're talking war because it's U.S. pilots shooting down Russian pilots. So, no, yeah. you're not going to do that. I know the one big thing that Zelensky wants that I think should have already happened on day one Poland was willing to send them some of those MiGs right, that they the know how to fly because yeah. they're not yeah. trained to fly our planes. We can't just give them F-35s, <laughs> you know, with, with no training. So that's go. not going to end well either. Yeah. But we didn't agree to backfill Poland's Air Force right. if they gave up the planes. And I think we could have right. done that without too much trouble. So, no, I don't, I don't know why we didn't do that. 
So, uh, crystal ball time. Um, are are we done with this by uh, the end of May? You think? Is Let's this see. Stop? Tomorrow is April first. Yeah. Two months. <laughs> yeah. Um, crystal ball. Okay, I'll, I'll go out on a limb. Right. I'm going to say the fighting in, and perhaps even the shelling in the western yeah. part of the country could easily be over by two months from now. If nothing else, the Russians are economically depleted. And I was looking at one analysis today from somebody that writes for uh, Jane's Jane's Defense, um, who's predicting that they're going to run out of missiles pretty soon. And they like they shot one of their hypersonic missiles. Mm -hmm. And that's, I guess, been confirmed, even though it had a conventional warhead on it. Um, They've only got like eight of those. And they they cost a ton of money. And even the regular missiles and shells that they're using, um, they don't have the production capacity to keep uh, backfilling their supplies. At some point, they're going to run out. And so that may end. I do do not think we will be done in the Donbass region uh, by then. I I think that's – if that's all he can get, he's not going to walk away without it. And how he plans on holding it, I don't know because it seems – at this point, certain that he's going to have an insurgency on his hands, and it could last for years. Well, and that's and, the problem. The insurgency. I mean, that's that's what Russia faced with, in Afghanistan. They they couldn't they couldn't clear all those folks out of it. They just kept fighting, kept fighting, kept coming. Right. So they kill one, five more show up. So I, I, same thing is going to happen, I think. But I, I I hope it's done. I hope it's done. I hope I, so, I hope something major happens. I hope uh, maybe the MIGs take you know the transfer of the MIGs happens. I just I just. Gosh, I want this thing to be done. All right, let's bring us home for a minute. Uh, here we are. Our, our, our commander-in-chief has decided and, and, again, wants to tap into the strategic petroleum reserve. A lot of people are saying it's a bad idea. We've already tapped into it. There's a reason we have a strategic petroleum reserve, and, and this isn't it. Um, and, and particularly when, when I think there's other ways he could solve this problem. What, what's your – you've got another article up on this uh, just um, – Came out today, in fact, eight oh one a.m. So, what's what's your read on the on the release of the petroleum? Uh, my read is pretty much the exact same as it was when he did it in November. This is um, ineffective because he's talking about a million barrels a day, and like that's going to make some huge difference when we're currently we were down to a low of eighteen million barrels per day <laughs> in. Uh, 2020, we're now back up to nearly 30 million barrels. One more million barrels a day uh, yeah, I, is not going to have any appreciable impact on the price mm-hmm. of gas mm-hmm. or the overall, and it's not going to solve the distribution channel problems that we have mm-hmm. getting the fuel to the refineries and then out to the places that need it. It's it's not going to address that. And and yeah, you, you already mentioned, that's not what the strategic petroleum reserve is there for it's there for an emergency when there is no fuel right particularly if it happened in the middle of a war remember when this was set up back then it was set up right on the heels of the big arab oil embargo you know uh under jimmy carter right and you know people were envisioning you know what if they did this and we were at war with them or one of their friends and suddenly we, we can't even have any gas for our tanks we should do something and that's what it was done for this is not a a fuel crisis. This is a political crisis for the right, Biden administration. Right, right. And it's being done because everybody's angry about the higher gas prices, as they should be. 
Uh, and they're like, oh, no, we're, we're going to get killed in the midterms even worse. We've got to get these gas prices down. Here, let's try this. And there's the one question I'll, I'll ask for, for your listeners. We already did this, quote, unquote, once in November. Does anybody remember the price of gas suddenly dropping in November? <laughs> I went and checked. Didn't happen. No. Well, so the, the definition of insanity it. is doing the same thing over and over again and thinking you're going to get different results. And the thing that's crazy about this, I was talking to someone about this last night. Trump had us completely energy independent and exporting oil and natural gas in three years. Biden destroys that in a year. He wants to blame it all on Putin like he does in inflation. The problem was already in existence. But according to your numbers, if the if the strategic reserve is at max capacity and we're using 18 million barrels a day, if we if 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 we had to go in there and count on that. It's only enough to supply the country for less than a month and a half. Right. So, so why would you why would you do that? Why would you tap into your most valuable, you know, backup plan when you don't have to? It just it, you would you would do that because your approval ratings stubbornly refuse to go back up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's that's the only explanation. Uh, yeah, I guess. I've got. I guess. I mean, you know, we talked about we talked about the whole COVID thing and the the dreaded BA two variant and. You know, and somebody said, oh, we're going to have lockdowns again. We have masks. I said, absolutely no, we're not, because it's going to be science that's going to control it. But this time it's going to be political science that's going to control it. There's an election coming up. They're not going to do, they're not going to go back to lockdowns and masks again. Maybe on planes, they'll keep it up. But I mean, saying generally speaking, they're not going to do that because people are done. I don't know about people where you live in New York, but where I live in Connecticut, people are done with this thing. Been done with it for oh, a yeah. long time. They're, they're done all over the place. Yeah. And uh, there's a lot of politicians who are still, I guess, refusing to believe that. Yeah. Um, I got an article that's coming up in a little while about Michelle Wu. She's the new mayor in uh, Boston. Yes. And uh, she's had protesters outside of her house day (laughs) and night complaining about the mass mandates, the the other vaccine mandate, the stuff she won't drop, even though they've been dropped in a lot of other places. Sure. And how did she respond to that? She just got the city council to pass a new law to make protesting uh, outside of certain hours in residential areas illegal. Of course she did. Of course she did. <laughs> That's how we do it here in America. Uh, we just make another law. Hey, Jazz, we're out of time. Thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. As always, it's a pleasure, sir. Thank you. Keep up the good work. Anytime, my friend. You have yourself a great week. Okay. Hey, good uh, good show today. Good mix of calls earlier, and then our guest today. I want to say thanks to Dr. David Emmel and, of course, Jazz Shaw and uh, and uh, Matt Soroyce. Thank you, Matt. Don't forget, Bingo Sunday. I'll be there. Bingo for Autism Sunday, April third, two to six p.m. The Meriden Elks Club, one twenty East Main Street, Meriden. adult tickets, $8 children's tickets, family pack of four for 40, includes chicken, good chicken, delicious chicken dinner, and two bingo cards. Door prizes, if you want to get in for the door prize, you got to wear a blue shirt. I got mine already picked out. Got it perfect. You're going to love it, Matt. Uh, Give me a full house. Full house. Come on and join us uh, Sunday afternoon. Looking forward to it. Never even played bingo before, but maybe I'll win $1,000. Who knows? I don't know. 
Maybe it'll cost me a thousand dollars. All right. Um, let's see. Tomorrow, <clears throat> tomorrow Friday is uh, first time caller Friday. So this is for folks um, that you maybe if you've listened to the show for a while, perhaps, and you've thought about calling, but maybe felt a little intimidated. It, it is it is a little hard the first time you call in. Well, fear not. This is for you. So you call in, and Matt answers the phone, and and Matt takes your information. He indicates on my giant computer call screen that you are, in fact, a first-time caller. And then I give you radio preference, concierge radio service. Take you through. You get preference uh, to get your call in quickly. No holding for 20 minutes if you're a first-time caller. And you can talk about anything you'd like, and there's guaranteed no pushback from the host whatsoever on first-time callers. You have you have carte blanche in terms of topic and discussion I may not agree with you, but I won't push back on the first call. And then, of course, if you're a second-time, third-time caller, we'd love for you to call in and, and let us know that, too. So 800-966-9842, 860-522-9842. We're setting up for the Between Rounds Bagels last caller of the day. Between Rounds has uh, bakeries at Manchester, South Windsor, Vernon, and Tallinn, Connecticut. And, uh, again, if you get to be the last caller, you get a dozen bagels courtesy of between rounds for six months oh they are good they're very good um some things we didn't get to today maybe we'll get to tomorrow there's a story about disney i want to tackle tomorrow this and this battery story yet this is a, a discovery of batteries and how it could really revolutionize the the ev market uh, i'd like to talk, i also didn't talk about this the uh, foxwoods has entered a deal with uh, the Great Wolf Lodge, and uh, they're going to be bringing a water park to the casino. So, um, yeah. Actually, it looks like they're going to be bringing another hotel to the casino. So uh, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Maybe we'll get a guest from Foxwoods on tomorrow. Uh, let's see. Um, no, 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 no. We didn't really talk about the Google story. I really want to talk about that Um Right way to use Google, wrong way to use Google. Um, we'll talk about that. All right, let's go to uh, the, be the beautiful commu community of Plainville and Brian. Brian, welcome to the show, and you are the last caller of the day. You win the dozen bagels for six months from Between Rounds Bagel Deli and Bakery, Manchester, South Vernon, uh, Tallinn, and uh, South Win Windsor, Vernon, Tallinn. What's on your mind, Brian? Um, thanks for the bagels, but I'm kind of far away, so you could just donate them to a charity or leave okay, them for another call. Right. I appreciate that, though. Thank you very much. But um, I just wanted to talk quick. The last guy you had on, I didn't remember his name, but you're talking about Ukraine. The and Jesha. you mentioned that we didn't want to backfill the Polish jets. Yeah. Not exactly true. What I understand, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, the Polish wanted to send their jets to a U.S. A US operated NATO base in Germany and have them go over to Ukraine. So they directly didn't have their hands on giving the planes to the Ukraine. They wanted us to do it. I seem to recall that was part of the story. So I, I, I can't speak to detail on that, but you might very well be true. And the other thing I just wanted to add, like when you were talking earlier, like what else could we do? Yeah. And I saw an, uh, a bloop on the screen on Newsmax this morning where Zelensky said to Biden, thanks for $500 million, but we need more. Yeah. Do these people like Zelensky understand? We're in a debt as a nation. This money isn't coming from Joe Biden. It's coming mm -hmm. from you and me. Sure, sure. 
So for us to keep giving money and giving money, I mean, these countries, is anybody giving us any money when we had problems? Of course not. Of and I think not. that we're doing all we can do aside from getting into an all-out war. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we are, and I understand what you're saying about tax money, but I think there's a little difference in perspective versus me sitting in my living room watching Newsmax and, and him sitting in the, in, in the key waiting for a bomb to drop on the, on the building. You know, I think, I think there's a little more urgency. I understand, well, yeah, I understand his, his cries for help. Stuff, but I really, and I talked to you about this before, mm. I think the number one responsibility is Europe needs to step up as a whole. Oh, I agree. You know, I, I agree. And and tr- you know what? Trump at least got them to pay more into their fund than they were paying. We were, we were hauling the freight on that thing. So oh, yeah, that's like, funny you know, because Trump Hey, Brian, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm out of time. Guy. I got to go. Thanks. Guys, love you guys. Have a great afternoon. God bless you. See you tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did.